to another edition of Pathfinders, a podcast series from RBC Capital Markets that explores the fast-moving world of biotech in conversation with leading companies and investors who are shaping the future of our industry. I'm Noel Brown, Head of U.S. Biotechnology Investment Banking here at RBC Capital Markets. In this episode of Pathfinders, we're excited to be joined by two leading voices at the cutting edge of biotechnology innovation and the investment strategy responsible for biotech's back success in the public market. I would like to introduce Dr. David Hung, CEO of Nubation Bio, a biopharma company tapping some of the greatest unmet needs in oncology, which recently went public in one of this year's biggest SPAC-related deals. In addition, I'd like to introduce Michelle Doig, partner at Omega Funds and president and board director of Omega's Alpha SPAC, a newly formed biotech SPAC targeting the sector. David and Michelle, welcome and thank you for joining us. This feels like a really unique opportunity to get the inside track from both of you as top authorities on what's behind the transition of a successful biotech company from the private to public market and what lessons our listeners can learn regarding your experience with SPACs. David, do you want to uh, start with just giving us an overview of innovation, its purpose, your goals uh, at a high level that we can drill down into the unique aspects of, of a SPAC? Sure. Well, hi, Noel. Thanks for having me on this podcast. So Nuvation Bio is a uh, biotech company that I founded about two and a half years ago. It's focused exclusively on oncology, and we're trying to develop a portfolio of six different programs targeting um, many of the world's most difficult-to-treat cancers. David, you're no stranger to SPACs. I mean, your last company, Medivation, went public via DSPAC merger, and now Nuvation Bio has done the same. So... With other traditional alternatives being available to you, as a founder and CEO, what is it about SPACs that you found compelling enough to do not only once, but then again a second time? So certainly there are a lot of um, financing alternatives available to companies like Innovation Bio, uh, both private and public. But within the public route, um, probably traditional IPOs and SPACs are the, the two most common ways to do that. Um, Medivation, my first company, which I started um, um, almost, you know, 17 years ago in 2003, uh, actually went public through a SPAC. But in 2003, SPACs did not have the luster that they have today. Uh, SPACs were a little bit of a dirty word and often the preferred financing route for companies that were um, a little marginal or, or um, distressed. So, you know, it was an unusual um, way to go public back in 2003, um, but we ended up being, actually, I believe, the, the most successful healthcare SPAC in history. We raised a total of $12 million in our first financing, but ultimately migrated from the pink sheets to Amex to NASDAQ. And over the next 13 years, um, we raised a total of $440 million in total uh, financings to yield a market cap of $14.3 billion when we were acquired by Pfizer in 2016. That represented an ROI of 21,000%. Uh, as I said, the most successful healthcare SPAC um, ever to date. So I was very familiar with the SPAC route, but in the 17 years since, Medivation um, went public through a SPAC. Uh, SPACs have become all the crazes, you know. And today, um, many high-quality companies seek SPACs as a way to go public. So it was not a difficult decision for me to uh, 
go public through another SPAC. Interesting. So you had secured you know, like an amazing $275 million Series A round, which was led and syndicated by Michelle at Omega Fund. This time around with Nubation, was a SPAC always part of the original game plan, or was that more of an audible you called in the field after you got the Series A finished and were assessing how to proceed? When we closed the Series A, um, we really did not have uh, other thoughts about financing further at that point, certainly not in the near term, and we were not really even thinking about going public necessarily. But being a CEO, you know, my responsibility is always to make sure that I'm well capitalized and I'm always looking ahead as to what my needs might be and trying to find the best and most opportune times to do that. And um, in many ways, this wasn't audible on the field because there were a lot of things that were changing since the um, Series A was closed. Um, number one, maybe the most unexpected, was this pandemic. I don't think any of us anticipated um, that this pandemic would go on for as long as it has or have the global impact that it has had. And on top of that, um, when we started to look at the upcoming presidential election in November, we thought there was a possibility that could add a few more variables into the equation. So as I started to think about our future, um, going to potentially a very uncertain time, we thought that if we were going to do another financing, um, maybe we need to do it sooner than later. And we thought that if we were going to go public, um, going public through a SPAC might have some significant advantages if we could do it in a way and at a valuation that we considered attractive for our investors. So how was it with the Series A investors? Was that a discussion that was difficult? Did you have to sell it hard, or, or were people jumping on board and 100% behind you? I don't think it was a hard sell for a number of other reasons. Um, we also happened to make a tremendous amount of progress since our Series A. And actually, we're heading to the clinic a lot faster than we would have thought. Uh, in fact, our first program um, started dosing patients in 2020. Um, uh, not even a year and a half after we started the company. Uh, so we were getting to the clinic with multiple programs. We needed capital. Uh, I don't think any of us anticipated our programs would move so rapidly, but uh, given the fact that they were advancing so significantly, it was a very easy sell to our investors to make sure we had adequate capital to realize the potential of those programs. Interesting. Michelle, had Omega been involved with any DSPAC mergers in the past prior to this deal with Novation? No, this was our first uh, portfolio company merger with the SPAC. Um, however, we did have uh, several experiences um, with reverse mergers, and merging with the SPAC is a much more straightforward process than a reverse merger. As for Novation, as David mentioned, um, given that the company still had well over you know, $200 million from the Series A, and um, had been uh, making so much progress while in stealth mode, um, we hadn't been planning to go public so soon, but when prevented with the opportunity to raise enough capital for David and the team to fully execute on the pipeline potential without the need to fundraise again for many years, if ever, um, at a fair valuation, 
combined with the fact that Nuvation really ticked all the key success factors uh, for an ideal SPAC target, it became sort of a no-brainer. And so on that point of key success factors, from your perspective, what are those? First and foremost, uh, certainly a strong management team that's ready for prime time. And we certainly had that at Nuvation. With David, there was the extra bonus that he'd already been a public company CEO who had generated exceptional returns for shareholders. Uh, This product isn't for everyone because in addition to a compelling story, it's important for you to have credibility with the street for this product to make sense. Second, as David mentioned, a very broad pipeline of products that address those really high unmet needs. And then finally, multiple upcoming value inflection points um, in news flow post-transaction. Again, Nuvation was able to dose its first patient between announcing and closing the DSPAC. So really, Nuvation picked all those boxes, and it's uh, the poster child for the right SPAC target. Interesting. So uh, a quote from uh, Oleg Nodelman, and also the CEO of Panacea, the SPAC, the plan was to partner with a, a company that had an exceptional management team, a deep pipeline, and a platform technology that can enable success to be replicated over and over. And then he added, that is exactly what we saw in Nuvation. So from your perspective, David, what attributes were you looking for in a SPAC sponsor, and then why Panacea? Well, I think the decision to work with Panacea was pretty easy um, because I've known Oleg and Scott Platchon for over a decade. I completely trust them. I think they're uh, really bright um, really competent, um, and are, are just great partners. And when I saw the um, the syndicate um, in the SPAC, um, they were top-notch. And you always want a top-notch syndicate to be associated with your company. Panacea also had $144 million in cash in it, um, so it was actually on the higher end of many of the SPACs that we had looked at. And we were also confident um, with Oleg, that we would be able to raise the $500 million that we ultimately ended up raising for a total of $644 million in the pipe with the SPAC combo that we closed last year. So you touched on key, you know, four key things there, like the trust of the sponsors of the SPAC, um, the syndicate of investors that were invested in that SPAC, the fact that it had a solid amount of cash, and then the ability of that SPAC to raise additional capital with the uh, concurrent type. And Michelle, from your perspective as a participant in this process, when you were one of the key investors in the company, what was it about the SPAC as an entity that made Omega, your fund, now want to sponsor its own SPAC? Well, as David mentioned, um, all the benefits um, for the target company, the speed, uh, the certainty of transaction, and a really curated long-term investor base at Omega with our Omega Alpha SPAC, we can now transact across the investment spectrum, from seed and company creation through venture capital, IPO, SPAC plus pipe, structured pipes, and secondaries. Um, So I I think the very best companies like Nuvation, they have options. And given the attractiveness of this product, uh, we want to make sure that we have access to and can offer uh, those very best companies, the full spectrum of, of product offerings. As a sponsor, you know, what are you looking for in a target company? How would you help 
a private company gauge their own potential to be a target for a deal with Omega Alpha SPAC? First and foremost, certainly an exceptional management team, um, ideally with some street credibility and track record. Second is a, a platform uh, and or a, a pipeline of products, uh, ideally driven by novel science uh, to treat severe multiple un- unmet needs, and then finally multiple upcoming value inflection points. Um, companies where it looks like there's a lot of binary risk or, or it's a one product company, um, those would be tricky for us. And then across sort of all the therapeutic areas, um, I think our firm in particular has uh, a strong interest and expertise in oncology and immunology, um, but, but certainly anything uh, within the uh, life sciences space is of interest to us. Michelle, you and I have known each other for a very long time. Um, you've been a banker, you, so you've been in my seat before, you've been an investor, uh, you've been on the principal side for a very long time, and for the most part, I've seen you active on taking companies public via the IPO path. So what's your take on this now? When and why is it the right option for a private company? When and why should they be choosing SPAC versus IPO? The short answer is time and money. And um, as the old adage goes, time is money. So by merging with the SPAC and raising a concurrent pipe, you can effectively compress a crossover round in an IPO well, in Nuvation's case, um, even the first follow-on offering, into one transaction and raise a larger quantum of capital all at once. As we know, the crossover round um, has become a necessary stop along the way on the path to uh, an IPO. And if you combine that process with the upfront marketing diligence and SEC requirements, that's a 6- to 12-month process. So being able to compress that timeline is key for companies, as David mentioned, especially if you see potential volatility ahead. So in addition to that time saving, you're also protecting for market risk. You could get all the way through the six-month IPO process only to have a tweet about drug pricing um, or even a completely unrelated macro event negatively affect your deal on the day or on the week of pricing. Um, but with a SPAC, you negotiate the valuation up front and are able to market to a, a, a curated list of, of long-term healthcare specialist investors. Um, again, in Nuvation's case, they had several large blue-tip uh, healthcare specialists and, and, and some generalist funds in the Series A who really stepped up to anchor the pipe. So if you already have that base, you're in a really good position uh, to be able to market a, a successful DSPAC process with, with a SPAC. And there's also one other thing I'd like to add to what Michelle just said. Certainly the speed at which we could close a SPAC um, in, in, in anticipation of potential volatility ahead is certainly one concern. But to have an efficient process, which minimizes our time away from our business, is also really important. You know, our absolutely highest priority is to develop the best drugs we can but get them to patients as fast as is humanly possible. So every minute we're not spending on financing that we can spend on our business to try to get these drugs to patients sooner is a huge priority for us. And so both of you talk a lot about some of the big benefits of this process, but what are some of the challenges to 
going public this way. If you're advising a friend, what are the, the downsides with taking this approach? I don't think there's actually a lot of downsides. Um, I, I think that the SPAC process really allows you to, to do pretty much anything you want to do um, in getting public. I don't see any disadvantages um, versus a traditional IPO. Uh, so I would you know, tell private companies that are looking to to do SPAC, just to make sure that it meets their needs. It has enough capital that they can lock in a large enough pipe for their financing needs, that they're working with a high-quality team, a team they trust, a syndicate they like. But if they have all those things, I think it's a great financing alternative. I think that's right um, for the right companies. If you're ticking all those boxes that we talked about before, um, there really isn't a lot of downside. The IPO market has been quite hot, and uh, there's often that post-pricing pop that's not necessarily seen in SPAC. However, you know, the SPAC, you give the full value to the company, and you're often able to negotiate a better valuation up front. Again, you're taking that market risk out. The other thing I've heard is that you're not necessarily going to get the research coverage and aftermarket support that you would get from your IPO banking syndicate if you merge with the SPAC. Well, you know, Nuvation now has six excellent analysts covering the company. And so by hiring the right capital markets advisors during the transaction, you can actually end up with a better than typical IPO syndicate and bank support post-close. And so where the two of you sit now, this deal is done. And we're seeing rampant proliferation of these um, companies. What concerns do you have about the sheer growth in the number of, of SPACs and the increasing frequency of this deal path? Well, I think anytime you see any mania in anything, you have to worry about when it's going to end. And certainly there's been you know, major SPAC mania over the last year. And at some point, um, you have to just question how long can that last? Are the companies that are going public really at a level that they should be going public, or are they ready to be public? Um, I think there's a lot of questions about that. But I'm sure there are many you know, really high-quality companies that are going to continue to go public through the SPAC route. And Michelle, how do you see um, Omega Alpha SPAC different from some of these other back sponsors. How are you going to manage in your hunt for targets when what is happening now is increased competition for the high quality names? I think there are a lot of differentiators in our SPAC. Uh, the first is we have a transatlantic presence with boots on the ground across the U.S. and Western Europe. Uh, and there's a lot of value arbitrage potential being able to hunt for targets in Europe. As I said, we have a lot of experience investing across the spectrum. Um, especially in leading and syndicating crossover rounds. And I'm not sure all the SPACs out there can say that. We have an accomplished management team and also an exceptional board of directors made up of industry leaders from all stages of drug discovery and development, again, in both North America and Europe. And we have a really clean structure. Omega Fund 6 is our sponsor, and we do not have any warrants. We have a curated investor base, uh, the majority of whom are interested in participating in our concurrent pipe when we de-spec. And again, we're looking for that high-quality target. With roughly 30 life sciences back hunting for targets right now, there is competition. 
But I think our differentiators are going to help us attract the best targets. And to David's point, the very high-quality ones do have choices. So we want to make sure that we can offer them that full spectrum of investment optionality. So in corporate finance strategy and biotech, we've seen a long history of evolution and innovation, right? I think back to how IPOs used to be done when I first got into business over 20 years ago, where we would sit down and map out the global three-week schedule. And now we're down to what we call a traditional, in air quotes, IPO process that's done inside of a week. We look at how follow-ons used to be much longer, drawn-out marketing processes. And now, more times than not, we're doing these confidential wall crosses. And so, again, these kind of evolution towards efficiency has been happening you know, throughout the market. Should we be looking at SPACs and DSPAC mergers as here to stay, not flash in the pan, but now legitimately one of the alternatives that every company should be looking at when they're thinking about going public, assuming they can check all those boxes? Yeah, I, I absolutely believe that SPACs are here to stay. And not only are they an alternative, I think they're actually a premium option for many companies. Yeah, I think that's right. It just makes so much sense. Um, for very special reasons to our sector, uh, for those companies that that tick those boxes. Again, it's not for every company because some companies actually do need that time to 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 grow and to gel as a team um, and build those relationships with the streets. So for some, uh, the drawn out process of the crossover round, um, the IPO process with the testing the waters meetings ahead of the actual roadshow, that's a necessary process. And so could I push the thought a little further and ask, do you think SPACs have gone so far as to make the traditional IPO obsolete? I mean, I think they're both alternatives, but I think there are real advantages to doing a SPAC. I, I'm not sure traditional IPOs will necessarily become obsolete, but I do think that Increasingly, there will be more and more companies that will elect to go the SPAC route. There are a lot of SPACs out there. And again, the reason the Innovation Panacea merger went so well was because not only of the stellar management team and existing Series A syndicate to anchor the pipe, but also because of the high-quality sponsor and its investors. I think companies need to be aware that not all sponsors are created equal. And to David's point, whenever there's mania, there's probably a few that get out that maybe shouldn't. And so I think companies just need to be wary that there's some risks and they should consider the SPAC capital structures, especially if there are warrants involved, and sponsors very carefully. I think that's a great point for us to end on. Thanks again, David and Michelle, for sharing your insight and your vision with us today. If you're wondering what else is on the horizon for the biofarm industry, we'll be keeping track right here on Pathfinders. Thank you all for joining us and stay tuned for future episodes. And of course, if there are any areas that we discuss that you'd like to learn more about, don't hesitate to contact us directly for a more in-depth discussion or visit our website for further insights. Thank you. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives. For disclosures, please visit www.rbccm.com disclosure.